Lord, thank you. Thank you for this specific day. Thank you that uh, we can be here. Uh, It's almost like an on-ramp for the worship service, Lord. And so we're grateful for that. You're helping us to get moving in the right direction. But it's not just a warm-up act, Lord. This is uh, here for the purpose of educating our minds um, so that it might actually produce godly fruit in our lives. And we pray that you would bless us as we discuss this uh, enormous topic. Expand our view of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going back to the series that Nick has been um, carrying the weight on. He's preaching this morning, so I'm, um, I'm doing this one. And we're talking about God's sovereignty, and the, um, we're using uh, the book by Paul Tripp as kind of a, a baseline, helping us, uh, do you believe, 12 historic doctrines to change your everyday life. So the way that he does it, he breaks it down into two uh, sections with the sovereignty of God. He has kind of the theological concepts, and then the uh, next chapter is how it impacts your everyday life. So I am doing the first part of that today, and then um, when I'm back in the pulpit to preach next week, he's going to return to this, and so he will tackle the how it uh, impacts our everyday life, although certainly hopeful you'll be able to draw some of your own conclusions from this as well. But we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God, and Um, you know, really, we're answering the biggest questions in the world. That's really what's taking place. You know, we're looking at the answer to the questions you have asked your entire life. Three-letter question. Starts with a W, ends with a Y. Why? 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 Why is the world this way? Why did this happen? Why did that not happen? Why can't I? Why do I have to? Why this family? Why this spouse? Why this child? Why this sickness? Why this location? Why this particular set of circumstances? Why would God allow that to happen? Why did God not stop me from sinning? Why aren't the circumstances different? With all of those whys that swirl around in our heads and that's a part of our daily life, why, 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 it is really easy to lose track of or lose our grip on the idea that God is actually sovereign. Or maybe we do lose that grip and we say, you know, is God actually sovereign? And, I mean, this is a Reformed Baptist church, So we don't say things like that, right? We say all the time that God is sovereign. We use that word. We don't have any trouble. It rolls right off our tongues. You'll hear it in a sermon regularly. Sovereign, sovereign, sovereign. God is sovereign. Does that sink in to us? Because the simple question, or I'm sorry, the simple answer to every one of those whys is in that right there, that God is sovereign. I mean, that's the straightforward truth is that the reason you are in the situation that you are in right now and everything that surrounds that situation, the person that you are, the children that you have, the parents that you were raised by, the home you live in, this all fits squarely within God's sovereignty. 
the illness that you have, the illness that you don't have, the illness that your spouse has, God's sovereignty. The answer is God's sovereignty. Now, that can be, you're like, okay, that, that's very churchy, it's very uh, Christian-y to say those things. Um, what does that actually mean? And so it's my hope that today what we're going to do is put a little bit of meat on the bones of, the the, of that theology so that it will give you a greater view of God and what he is about and what he is at work to do and to accomplish and um, maybe take our focus all of our, off of ourselves, which actually brings me uh, to the first thing. Um, what is the problem that's inherent in all of those why questions? What is built in? What is baked in to every one of those why questions I was, I was thrown out there? Can you think? What is it, Glenda? Ah, there we go. Glenda says, it's about me. Ah, so there we go. Perspective. Perspective. Every one of those questions starts with me and says, why God... You know, it's like me, center of the universe, and God's out here. God, why in this universe that's around me are things the way that they are? And that is precisely the wrong perspective to have. Now, we have, to, we have contact with this world, and we live in this world, and those things are real, but we always have to keep ourselves tethered to the truth of Scripture as it relates to God's sovereignty. So... When we consider God's sovereignty, and this is you know, what I'm hopeful for today, it helps to shift the perspective. It takes the perspective away from us being in the center with God out here uh, orbiting us, and it instead puts God at the center when we truly focus on that doctrine and, then it make, and realize that everything else is, in a sense, metaphorically orbiting around God. And the short answer to the wise is that as far as God's sovereignty is that it brings glory to him. He's doing it because he wants to do it because it does bring glory to God. Ephesians 1 chapter 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We say those things. We read the scripture. There it is, verbatim, right out of God's word. God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So if you remove from, uh, if you remove yourself from the wise, okay, all of those wise that are swirling around in your head, that's going on, every, your scenario in your life right now, if you take yourself out of that scenario and acknowledge that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will, then every time we ask those why questions, if we, not that we're not allowed to ask things, but if we do so with a complaining heart, if you're being honest, if that, if that why question that you're asking about your life it has a... a is tainted with, God, you need to answer to me. That's different than going to God and saying, I'm pouring my heart out to you in humility that you would speak to me and comfort me. That's different than going to God and saying, God, what is going on 
and like God owes you an answer, then we are bringing his counsel into question. If we believe what Ephesians 1.11 says, that he's working all things according to the counsel of his will, then we need to be careful that we're not calling his counsel into question and we're not essentially saying, God, how could you? How could you, God? And, I, you know, on a Lord's Day, we've cleaned up. We've shown up at church today. We're ready to focus on God and to sing to God and to hear his word being preached. And hopefully, in particular, within that context, the idea of us as his children saying something like, God, how could you, is, you know, off-putting, repulsive. <laughs> like you think, oh, whoa, I, I, I don't want to say that. Well, we need to be careful when we question God's sovereignty that we don't do that. So uh, from that vantage point, those questions actually become kind of embarrassing. When we take ourselves out of it and we realize that God is sovereign, those, those questions, like there's no real good place for that. So let's talk about the theology itself. Um, there are two aspects to the theology. I mean, there, I'm, I'm sure there's more than that, but uh, the two that I think are helpful that we're going to talk about is that uh, the first is his decrees, and the second is his providence. So, uh, by the way, like I said, I didn't have quite as much time to prepare my board here, so I'm going to kind of walk and talk, and this is probably going to be a little messier, even messier than normal. So two aspects that are helpful for us to consider regarding God's sovereignty his decrees, and his providence. So a decree is a decision or order made by an authority. So God's decrees are his eternal plan. God has a plan. God has decided what's going to happen. He's mapped it out. When we look at that verse from Ephesians chapter 1, he's working all things according to the counsel of his will. He has a will. He's exercising that will. Everything that he has decided will come to pass, and according to his own will and for his own glory, he has ordained everything that will come to pass, because God is infinite in power and wisdom. His decrees are eternal and unchangeable. So, here is the short thing to say that I think is helpful. What a sovereign God decrees... will happen. Actually, let's double that. Let's go like this. What a sovereign God decrees will happen, will happen. If he has decreed it to be so, it's going to happen. That's part of being a sovereign God. If he has decided it to be, it absolutely, unequivocally will be. And then, and we're going to look at each of these here in a little greater detail. And then the second uh, aspect of God's sovereignty is his providence, which basically gets to the point that God doesn't just decree, decide in his will that something is going to happen. He actually superintends it. He's in contact with it. He rules over it. He sees to it that it's going to take place. He governs, sustains, affects, and controls. God not only decrees, but, will be act- but actively rules over the processes by which it will be 
God is in constant contact with the universe that he has made. He has not set the, set the world into motion and walked away. That's, God doesn't do that. He's, he's right there. He's manning the wheel. He is seeing to it that this, whatever he has decreed will happen, will actually take place. So our little shorthand here that we're going to say is a sovereign God rules what he has made. Okay, I already wrote the whole thing. Yeah, all right, I don't even have to write. So, we have will, his decree has to do with his will, and his providence has to do with the ruling, the carrying out, the action of that providence taking place. Now, let's look at what our own confession of faith has to say in this regard. We're going to look at uh, two different chapters, uh, just a, a couple of the paragraphs from each of the chapters. So first, I'm going to go to um, uh, chapter 3. And if you want to follow along, by the way, in the back of the blue hymnal, the blue Trinity hymnal is the, our confession of faith, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And we're going to look at chapter 3. And thank you, Rob Roy, six, page 672. And we're going to... Um, Two. Go ahead, PJ. Chapter three, paragraphs one and two on God's decree. Okay. It's not working. Is the oh, oh there you go. There we go. There. Okay. Uh, one and two. God hath decreed in Himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will freely and unchangeably all things whatsoever come to pass. Yet so as I is God neither the author of sin nor hath fellowship with any therein. Am I? Yeah, okay, good. Okay. Um, so here are some things that this is where we struggle to reconcile these things. When we're reading, um, I, I just want to pull out a, a few phrases. So out of paragraph one here, chapter three, paragraph one on God's decree, we have that God decreed whatever comes to pass. So that, that, there we go. That's just like front and center of the decrees of God. He has decreed everything that comes to pass. There's not one small little thing that takes place that has not, uh, that, that was outside of his decree. But here are the kind of sub-points within that is that yet he does it without sinning and he does not violate the will of man, right? And this is where we maybe start to, to spin a little bit, trying to figure out these things. Well, I'm going to make it harder before I do anything to make it easier. Um, in chapter 2, it also says that, that it, it, or I'm sorry, paragraph 2 in chapter 3 addresses uh, basically, uh, the authors here have um, said this is one way that it is not working. This is God, what God is not doing. To resolve all of this, what God is not doing is looking down the corridors of time to see what you're going to do so that then he makes a decision on what he's going to do. So that, that's what our confession doing. It's subtracting that tactic or that, that thinking uh, right out of the equation. Like, hey, by the way... Um, 
God knows whatever may or can come to pass on all supposed conditions, yet he has not decreed anything because he foresaw it in the future, or as that it would come to pass upon such conditions. So his decrees are not contingent. He is not responding to us. Um, and if you really, I know this starts to um, push on the boundaries of, of the brain matter here, but you know, bear in mind as well, God is not bound by time himself. So he's not operating inside the thing of time and saying, well, you know, like somehow he has to wait to see what we're going to do or that um, if you start getting into this kind of circular reasoning of, well, if he already knew that's what I was going to do, but he was doing this thing, then really he's forcing me to do it anyway, but God isn't bound by time. So um, something to think about uh, a little bit there. Okay, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to touch on more of this stuff, but let's keep moving. All right, as far as God's providence, um, I have, uh, I think I have Gerald teed up. So God's providence is second, we're going to go to chapter five of the confession. So it's probably just a page away from where it was. All right, and, uh, and then we're going to read, what did I ask you the first three Three paragraphs. Is it no, no dice? Is the, is this one working? If I give it to him, or is this one d- dead too? All right, all right. Let her rip, Gerald. Thank you, Gerald. Okay, so paragraph one is that overarching principle that I have already written up here, which is that God um, not only wills these things, He not only decrees all of these things to take place. He also attends to them. He is at the switch, and he is ruling over all of those things according to his own immutable counsel and to uh, his own will. And if you're wondering, again, of the why behind the why, um, this is really helpful, that last uh, half sentence in that paragraph one of the confession where it says, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. And this is where, as we're inching our way and crunching mentally through these things, remind yourself, this is that whole idea of changing your perspective, that, this, that all of the whys that I started with and that, and that impact your life, why, 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 why this, why not that, it, the answer to the why is that God has decreed it to be so. He's ruling to make sure that it's taking place. And by the way, the why behind that why is to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. This is what we have to remind ourselves of. Now, paragraph two is just talking about uh, the idea that God still uses regular means what, uh, what, what's been referred to as the law of causality, what they say in here as uh, the nature of second causes. So in other words, um, God is not just stacking up uh, miracle on miracle on miracle on miracle, and it's all like he's just winging it. He, he's ruling over all of these things, but he uses things to work out in a what would be, from our perspective, a natural fallout from different things. He uses every one of those to his glory and to execute the, um, um, his decrees. But then paragraph three gives a, it, it's like the fine print that says, by the way, he will also throw in some miracles wherever he sees fit as well that don't fit within the regular secondary causes. He'll throw a curveball in there and just totally do something that does not 
square with kind of that natural second causes. So that's the, the principles. I want to make sure that we are um, realizing that this is, you know, as members of the church, that this, this is part of the confession. This is what is helpful for us to understand these things. Beautiful thing to use for, uh, for family worship and devotions as well. But when we think about these things and we go, well, yeah, but there's so much bad stuff that goes on. And I am personally going through such difficult times and it, it's, it has no re- I have no reason to believe that it's like this direct correlation to, um, to sin. Like I didn't, you know, I'm not reaping the benefit of this horribly sinful decision. So yet God is decreeing these things and, and he is, and it's to his glory, and yet he's not the author of sin, and yet he also doesn't violate man's will. All of these things can be very difficult. Well, let me add one more little thing. I, um, this on my bookshelf, uh, my son certainly knows this, and I've mentioned it to Nick. This just happens to be one of my personal favorite books that I have. Uh, this is called... Uh, I don't, I don't even know if they're still printed or anything, but it's called Primitive Theology, and it's the collected primers of John Gershner. He was uh, R.C. Sproul's, like, mentor, number one, basically, mentor and everything. And if you've ever heard him, he has a very distinctive way of speaking, very fiery uh, way of speaking, and this is just a collection of primers on different subjects. Anyway, uh, in, so I'm, I'm going to quote from his book. So try to... Try, try to to wrap your head around this one. He makes um, the claim that um, it is good that sin exists. Now, how do you feel about that quote? It is good that sin exists. I hope maybe you're struggling with that just a little bit, but listen to what he has to say. I think this is really helpful. So, Uh, He says, quote, I'm going to start at one paragraph, just read one sentence, then skip down to a different paragraph. So he says, quote, uh, Gerstner, that is, God is pleased to permit or decree what displeases him. All right. I I hope you're caffeinated this morning. All right. Think this through here. Quote, here is evil or wrong which displeases God. Yet, if he were displeased to have it exist... He would not let it exist. So clearly, he is pleased to let evil exist. God is not displeased with evils existing, yet he is displeased with evil. Displeased with evil, not its existing. How can these things be? It must be, excuse me, it must be that God will bring something out of evils existing that pleases him and is therefore good. So evil is bad and against God's nature, but its existing must be good for the purpose God has. So the evil is bad, but not the good God brings out of it. He could not bring good out of evil without evils existing. So it is good that evil exists, though evil as existing is bad. This is the divine method, not divine madness. God has seeming pleasure with evil, but actual displeasure with evil. His pleasure is only in what comes out of it, and therefore ultimately has pleasure in evil's existing. 
So God has no pleasure in evil, in, and this is like this long hyphenated thing. Uh, or God has no pleasure in evil, but more properly and fully stated, God has pleasure in, and this is like one of these extended hyphenated things, evil existing for the good God would bring out of it, period. That makes sense. Good sense, not a bad use of the bad. God's intelligence and morality are vindicated when properly understood, close quote. Now, I know, first of all, it's a long quote, but also that kind of thinking, I, I, I don't think maybe we go that deep sometimes, but this is helpful. That's reminding us that what this is not is a yin and yang, right? This is not dualism. This is not God fighting the fight, the good fight, Satan fighting the evil fight, and we just are like, well, we just know God's going to win out. No. God is sovereign. He is superintending everything to include the evil, and he is making exquisite use of the existence of evil, which brings us back to the very thing that we just read out of our confession of faith, the faith that we confess, which is that he is decreed these things to include what he's doing with the existence of evil, and he's ruling over them to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. Now, that's the kind of thinking that changes everything. That, that, that's game-changing game thinking for the Christian. Now, there's a time and a place to talk about these things. If you're, if you're across a picnic table from a friend who's just completely broken over some horrible thing that just happened to him in his life, you know, you, you don't want to roll out a trite response of, well, you know, God's sovereign, so it's all to his glory. You know, we don't want to do that, but the right place to think about it is right here and right now. This is Sunday school. This is the Lord's Day. We are talking about these things because you need this grid in your head because I already know that when you leave here today, when you leave here this morning or this afternoon, you are going to run up against all the things that drive you to the whys in your life. Why, Lord? The things that just make you go, why does he do that? <laughs> What's wrong with him, Lord? Right? Or why, where did the money go? Why do, why, am I, why do I have this affliction? Why did I lose my job? Why can I not find a spouse? Why can I not get pregnant? Why, you know, the whys never end. And we've done an entire series uh, that, that Nick taught on, on, on how to, um, as he put it, I think from the book, you know, to climb into the, the coffin with somebody and to, and to lovingly be there for them. And so there's a time and a place for that to deal with those emotions, but we have to hang on to the doctrinal truths, the things that our scripture says, which includes the fact that none of this is outside of God. God is not the enemy. He is doing whatever, that, the, whatever the why is of what's going on in your life is to his glory and the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. Now, what... Um, what, uh, what's his name? Who's the guy that, 
Paul Tripp. What, uh, what Tripp does is he gives six examples. I mean, my goodness, we could, we could go through all kinds of stuff in, in Scripture. He gives six examples. I don't even know that we're going to hit them all, but um, of, of these things. So I want to throw, I, I want now with this grid in your head, this big, you're like, okay, doctrinal grid just right there. You, you, we've just talked about it. We, we've read these quotes. We've looked at some scripture. We've read from our confession. Think about, apply those now to some of the scenarios in scripture. And one of those is uh, Exodus chapter 7 through 12 and uh, the, the liberation of the Israelites from Egypt. And we have our pastor who's going to be uh, preaching on that very thing uh, this morning. But when you think now about these principles and God and that it being good that evil exists without calling evil itself good, now you can apply that to things like the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, uh, God's control over creation, or as, uh, as Nick has put it, you know, decreation, God choosing when they Israelites would be enslaved, who they'd be enslaved to, how long they would be enslaved and chose when, who, and how they would be saved as well. I mean, all of those details that God is sovereign over. It's like, well, why, you know, why did one, the generation that he's about to preach on today get to experience the exodus and yet just those folks, their grandparents, you know, didn't? Well, that is God's sovereignty at work he wasn't just waiting for the right time. The, it, the, the right time is the time he determines. That, that is the right time. He's not waiting for anything. He's exercising that perfectly. Uh, Daniel, chapter 4 and 5, and uh, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, and um, God, is, and is, he is the God over the chaos of human government. That is a very comforting thing to remember in our world today. God is sovereign over our human government. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water. In the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he wills. Nothing is escaping God's notice. No one is in power. Romans 13, no one is in power that God has not placed there. And you go, what? How can God possibly be behind that man sitting on the Supreme Court? How could God possibly be behind that woman serving as a senator? Like, this cannot possibly be. And the answer is, God is working out his providence according to his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. What if instead... We pray, the, the prayers we should pray, which is, God, please cause our, give us godly politicians. God, save, uh, save the lost among, uh, that are, that are, that are uh, presiding in our courts. Those, those are good things to pray. But then afterwards, being able to say, wow, this is going to be interesting to see what God does with this. I mean, I don't, I don't know how he's going to flip the script on this one, but you know he is because that's, he, it's his script. He's, he's, you know, you don't have to worry about, hey, where is the resolution to the conflict we're seeing building up? You don't have to worry about that. He's on top of it. Jonah, 
I mean, we see, that, we see the intricate detail of how God is in control in Jonah. God hurled a great tempest to the exact location where Jonah was at sea. Jonah's right there. He's fleeing. He sends a tempest exactly right there to that location. He, God appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. God sp- this is all directly from Scripture. God spoke to the fish, and it vomited him out, and later God appointed a worm. He's hurling tempests, speaking to, appointing a great fish, speaking to the fish, and then appointing a worm. God is sovereign. God is in control of all of these things. Um, the sparrows, I'm going to have Hannah read Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. Yeah, 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 20. So God, a uh, 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 sparrow does not fall outside of God's decree, nor does a sparrow fall outside of God's providence. Um, according to a 1997 biodiversity and conservation study, this is a little fascinating morsel, 13.7 million birds die every day just in the United States. There are people that count these things, apparently. I think that's what amazes me more than anything. But let's say that they're relatively close. 13.7 million birds die every day just within the United States. And yet Scripture says that not one of those is dying outside of his decree and his providence that has escaped his notice, and not just escaped his notice, that he was not a part of the entirety of that. The vastness, you know, the scope of, of creation. He, he isn't overwhelmed by the scope of creation and everything that's going on. Um, we also have the fifth one is the conversion of the Gentiles. Um, someone willing to read Acts 13.48? Whoever gets there first. Cindy, please do. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. My guess is there are people in your family, it's not a guess, it's a fact. There are people in your family that you are terribly worried about their salvation. You are not responsible for their salvation. You have to be faithful and honoring God and presenting the gospel in a loving and humble way with gentleness and respect when appropriate. But that does not make you on the hook for their salvation. It is God that, uh, that appoints those to eternal life. God saves those whom he has chosen to save in the matter, manner that he has chosen to save them. 
And if you think about it, you know, we're looking specifically at this. Well, the ones that are preaching the gospel at this particular time, at this particular location, are Paul and Barnabas. So again, we take our uh, sovereignty of God grid and we apply it to this and we go, that time, Paul and his age and his experience and his relationship to Barnabas, and they happen to be in that city preaching to those particular Gentiles at that particular time, all of those things are squarely within God's decree and God's providence. And God saw to it that they were doing, and yet at the same time, what they were doing and being responsible in obeying God actually mattered. He is sovereign over both the ends and the means. And then the last example that's pointed out is Paul in Athens. Uh, one more time, somebody have their Bible open on this side of the room, Acts 17. Verses 24 to 27. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 27. Okay, so in this, in what, just, in what Jane just read, you realize this particular slice of history at this particular location is exactly where God wants you to be. You were not supposed to live in the 1800s or the 200s or the 3000 BC, you know, any of those things. This is exactly where you are supposed to be. And the most uh, beautiful part of all of that is that we know that God is near us. Even though we serve a sovereign God that has decreed all these things and rules over all of these things, we are not alone. God is ruling God is at work. God is in the throne. He's got everything under control. So as cliche as it is, we can say as Christians that believe in the word of God, that this is the truth, everything is going to be okay. In fact, it's better than okay. You are where you're supposed to be, going through what you're supposed to go through, for the glory of God. It is good what God is doing, and he is at work. All right. That leaves roughly three, four minutes for any kind of uh, extra commentary or questions or anything that anyone wants to teach. Uh, I think uh, on the practical side, you see the balance, but still I would end up in the same place, which is, okay, God, you're Yes, uh, he, he lands in the right space, uh, place as God being sovereign. And I think what uh, connects really nicely is to what Jane just read there out of Acts chapter 17, um, that not only is he reigning, but he actually isn't far away, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our own being. So praise God. He, he, he's right there. It isn't, none, of, none of the pain and the difficulty and the hardship that you're experiencing is lost on God. It's not. It's, and, and it has a purpose. It all has a purpose for his glory. Anything additional? John? Amen. Yes. And to, yeah, and to that point of trust is also... 
just because you can't see how it's going to work out, that's not part of the equation, is you being able to work out, see down, several moves down to see how it's going to work out. You know what you're required to do. It, it should be clear to you what you should be, uh, what a faithful Christian would do in the scenario today, and just do that. God's, God's doing this stuff over here, the decreeing and the providencing. I don't know how you put that into a verb. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, um, for our Sunday school time. Lord, help us to have this kind of thinking. Remove us from the center of our universe. May Christ and his work be at the center of our universe. May, our, our, may we find joy even in hardship, knowing that you are at work and that you are being glorified and that you are near to us. Bless the service that follows, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.